0: continuing our Tattoo My Soul sermon series, which is all about the treasure that God's Word is, and that that if we're going to obey His Word, then we will experience all the blessings, all the goodness that uh, life has to offer because of Him, because we're obeying and we're hearing from Him. And today we're going to continue that uh, same vein by looking at one of the most popular verses, probably the most popular verse in the entire Bible, which is what Bailey read earlier, John 3.16. But we'll get into that in a minute. First of all, I just have a question for you guys. How many of you guys uh, think this world is perfect the way it is? Just a show of hands. No one? No one? You sure? we got a brave soul here uh, who says that it's perfect the way it is. I, I think you're probably joking, because how many of you guys would, would agree that it's probably a little broken? Anyone? Maybe a little? A little broken? A little bit of brokenness here. I think that if you just turn on the news for 10 minutes, five minutes, probably two minutes is all you need. Watch the news tonight, tomorrow, and just watch. It just rolls again and again. Brokenness, brokenness over and over and over again. I mean, show me my slide of, of the world on fire, basically. There are protests going on, violent protests going on all around the world. There's Uh, world hunger, one in nine people are starving and don't have access to food. Over two billion people, two billion, not million, two billion people in the world don't have clean drinking water, but their their drinking water that they have is contaminated by feces. Like, that's, that's modern day. This is not 500 years ago. This is modern day world that we live in. Two billion people can't even get access to clean drinking water. I don't even have to go on about the, the divorce rate and the murder rate and the, the drug overdose rate. Like, it's just broken. Like, we look around us and very quickly we can see that this world that we live in is not right. Like, it's, it's messed up, right? And so, the question we have to ask ourselves today is what, what will fix the brokenness in our world? Like, there has to be a solution. So the problem? Well, will what do you, what do you guys think? Will, will politics fix the brokenness in our world? Like, will a, a different president, will a different Congress, will a different Senate representatives? Is that going to fix the brokenness? A lot of people say it will, but you know, 250 years of American history and then uh, thousands of years of world history tell us otherwise. That that new political powers and, and leadership. You know things change and it's important, but that it doesn't get to the heart issue the root issue at hand is the brokenness that we see in our own hearts we what other things might the world look to to, to try and save us well like okay, if we can just get enough clean energy like the the environment is 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 on fire right now, and the ozone and and Shamu and everything is just a disaster. If we could just get clean energy, then world peace would just permeate everywhere we see. Well, you know, clean energy is great and it's good, but it's not going to fix our hearts. It's not going to fix the real issue because the foundation, the foundation of all of our problems, the foundation of all that brokenness that we see is a sin problem. And that goes far deeper than just the surface level things that that we try and uh, cover up so much. And so as I was asking the Lord, okay, God, what should I teach on today? Where should I uh, go with this sermon today? I just couldn't help but think, and and maybe this is a little morbid for you guys, but this is just how I think. I, I was like, okay, if I preach this sermon today, get on my bike and go home, and on my way home, I'm hit by a bus. And I die. I'm a little morbid. Uh, you're like, oh, that's more that's sad. If I were to die today, this afternoon, hit by a bus, just gone. Boop, poof, life gone. What would I want to leave with you guys? What would I want to, to impart to your, your hearts, your minds, your souls about who God is and who He created you to be? It wouldn't be a bunch of like self-help techniques, I can tell you that. It wouldn't be a, a list of uh, sins that you need to stop doing and, and fixing your life so you can uh, be a better religious person. That, that doesn't help anyone. The only thing that, that I could think of that was more important than anything in this world is the solution for our search for happiness. And our search for wholeness and purpose and identity, and our search for life after death. There is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And there is a real place called heaven that is, is made, is created for those that have received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And there is a real place of torment and suffering called hell for those that have not. Jesus talks more about hell in the Bible than he does heaven. It is a real thing. And so as I was trying to figure out what to preach on, what could be more important than that? The solution for your happiness in this life, but also the solution for your eternal destiny? Man, nothing I could think of is more important than that. And it got me thinking that, that either Jesus is everything to us, the most important thing in the world, or nothing to us. Right? Like if Jesus is who he says he is, if the Bible is true and is what it says it is, that God is who he says he is, then it, it matters infinitely more than anything in creation. If if Jesus is just some historical figure. The, book is just, the Bible is just a book on philosophy. If that's the case, then none of this matters. We're all wasting our time here. Because if something of this magnitude is presented before you, there's only two options. If I were to tell you, this is just hypothetical, I'm no meteorologist, but if I were to tell you that tomorrow a giant asteroid is coming right at Houston, Texas... Right at it. And the entire state of Texas is going to be wiped off the map. I, I know the geography of that doesn't really work, but it's, just, it's fine. If I were to tell you that a giant asteroid was going to destroy the place that we live, and that your only hope of, of life is to get out of the state, to go to Louisiana or Oklahoma or wherever, man, that would either mean everything to you, or it would mean... Nothing to you. If it was true, if it was true that tomorrow an asteroid was coming right here, then what are you doing here? Get up and leave. Go, go. Because your life is on the line. Your family's lives are on the line. Your friends' lives are on the line. But if I am just an insane person spouting off ideas that I think are true because I had a dream about an asteroid and I just made it up, oh, and it's nonsense, and you don't don't have to listen, you don't have to care, and in the same way, Jesus to us, if true, if he is who he says he is, deserves 100% of our attention and our affection and of our lives, if he's not who he says he is though, it doesn't matter. C.S. Lewis said it like this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. In our asteroid scenario, if it's true, it's greatly important. If it's not, it's like, ah, whatever. But there's no in-between. It's not like, oh, yeah, there's actually an asteroid coming, but... uh I don't know, there's a football game on this afternoon that I kind of want to watch. So, yeah, we'll see. I might get out of town. No, if it's true, your entire being should be focused on getting out of the state. This is not a, a trivial thing that we're talking about with Jesus. Your joy in life, your happiness in life depends on what you believe and choose to do about who Jesus says he is. Your happiness in life depends on that. But beyond that, your eternal destiny depends on that, what you believe about Jesus and what you do with that. And so today, we're going to press into that. What is is the good news of Jesus Christ? Who does he say he is? And why does that matter to us? You know, if you're saved here today, don't think, oh, he's just talking about the gospel again. I've heard this one about a thousand times. I don't need that. I've, I've already learned the gospel. I know it can be tempting to think that, but let me just remind you that the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and that, that he has called you and saved you is the most important thing in your life. It is the foundation by which you live your life. It's the, the most important thing you could ever Think about you could ever worship God for. So don't think, oh, I've graduated from the gospel, I don't need to hear this. No, I, if it hadn't been for a renewing of my mind, a remembering every single day the truth of the gospel and, and who Jesus is and who he's called me to be, if it hadn't been for that in my life, man, I, I would have given up a long time ago. We never leave the gospel behind. We never graduate to the more important things. No. The the glory of God is all kinds of wrapped up in the glory of the gospel. So we're going to look at the most popular verse in the Bible today. We read it earlier, John 3.16. Don't throw it up yet. How many of you guys know John 3.16? How many of you guys can recite it out loud right now? Put your money where your mouth is. Ready? For God. That was amazing. We're trailing off there. You got, it? you got it? That was perfect. I didn't hear most of what you said turned into mumbling, but you get the idea. Like We all know John 3.16. It's the most popular verse in the world because like the, the heart of the gospel is wrapped up in it. We learn it from an early age. Like We're taught to memorize it from an early early age, but it wasn't until a few years ago that I actually looked at the context for John 3.16 and was, uh, was caught off guard a little bit. This is John 3.14. It says, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So you have the most popular verse in the world. Right after this kind of strange verse about a snake in a pole in a wilderness. Like, what does Moses and the snake have to do with Jesus and, and the cross? We're going to look at that today. Numbers 21 is where this is found. What Jesus is recalling here is a, a, a story in Numbers 21 where the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness. Like they, they've been rescued from Egypt, the Red Sea has happened, and now they're just wandering in the, in the wilderness because they didn't trust God enough to take the, the promised land. And God has just shown up for them over and over and over again. He rescued them from these... These wicked slave drivers, he parted the Red Sea, he brought fire down from heaven. He's been providing for them food every single day in this, the form of this uh, manna, this heavenly bread that just like, oh, it just happened to show up on the ground, I guess I'm going to eat it. God has just provided for them over and over again. But the Israelites forget about God's goodness, about God's faithfulness, and they start complaining. They start just being bitter about their circumstances because it's hard. Being in the wilderness is not a fun time. And so in spite of all the goodness of God towards them, in spite of all the ways that God has loved them, shown himself faithful to them, they start complaining. God, how could you let us be here? How could you do this? What kind of God are you to just leave us out in this wilderness? We we had it better in Egypt. I wish we were in the slavery of Egypt. And God's looking at his people like, Guys, I I saved you. I gave all of this for you. And and you're just going to rebel against me. You're going to complain against me. You're going to incite others to, to talk bad about me, the perfect, holy, righteous God of heaven. And so God does what a just God would do. He brings judgment on their sin. God sends these venomous snakes into the Israelite camp. The venomous snakes start biting And striking at the people that have rebelled against God. And then the people really wake up and they're like, oh, God meant business. Uh, Moses, pray for us. Lord, we're sorry. And they cry out to God. They cry out to God for salvation and they repent to him. And then it says this in verse 8. Then the Lord told him, go make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. And all who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. And so Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. The Bible is weird, y'all. Yeah, Does anyone know this? Y'all, have y'all read this story? It's so weird. Like, okay, the, the people are dying in the wilderness, and they're, they're bit by snakes, and then God tells Moses to... Form this bronze snake and put it on a pole, and, and then if, if people just look at it, then then they're saved. Like, God, what are you doing here? Like you you left this in the Bible? This is what you wanted to leave in the Bible? Yeah, it is. Anytime that you're reading the Old Testament, which can be confusing, I know. It still confuses me all the time. Anytime you're reading the Old Testament and you're confused about something, look for Jesus on the pages of the Bible. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus, who he is, foreshadowing who he is, who he, uh, uh, what he did for us. And all of the New Testament is about the glory of who Jesus is. The, the entire Bible is about Jesus, God himself. And so as we're looking at this story, we have to look for Jesus to understand what's going on here. We know the cross of Christ. Everyone's mostly familiar with the fact that Jesus was lifted up on this cross and he hung there and he died. So, why is it talking about this snake being lifted up on a, a pole, a stick, and if people will just look at him, then, then they'll live? What, what's going on there? Isn't like a, a snake a symbol of, of sin, right? Like the Garden of Eden, there was the serpent that, that caused everyone to sin, right? And, and messed this whole thing up for all of us. Why is is God's method of salvation here a snake, a serpent? Well, if you dig into what is going on here, it is a beautiful picture of the cross of Christ. The snake is a symbol of sin, right? So in the garden, the the serpent was the one who initially uh, led us into sin, incited our flesh, And so the the symbol of sin is the snake. But, But what's up with the fact that it's bronze? The beautiful thing here is that the only way to get bronze is to take like tin and copper and then put them into a fiery furnace, melt them down, and then form them into bronze, into this hard metal. You don't just go out into the wilderness and you're like, oh, I got, found a rock here. Yep, that's a, that's a bronze rock. No, it's not like gold where you can just go in and find an ore and you're like, oh, okay, that's gold. No, you have to take these two uh, soft metal, like these unimportant metals, and you have to put them into this really hot furnace until you melt them together and then you let them cool and now you have bronze. So what is, what is the symbolism here? This is such a great picture because it is, it is the sin of mankind, symbolized in the snake, paid for with the, the judgment, with the justice, with the wrath of fire, coming out the other side, if people would just look at this, this symbol of, of our sin, of sin paid for, of sin with, with wrath poured out on it, then they'll be saved. This wrath, this judgment, like that that doesn't sit well with a lot of us. Like the world just tells us, okay, if if you if you judge somebody, then you're just a bigot, right? Okay, if you if you don't like what I'm doing, then you're just you're just a big jerk. That's what that's what most people in the world and a lot of us feel, like I feel that way. Like, hey man, don't judge me. Like I I I live my own life, like live and let live. We want to live and let live until people sin against us. And then we want their butts being judged, right? For example, not to continue with the whole uh, morbid examples that I keep throwing out there. I, I don't know why this is just—it is what it is. If I murder one of your family members today, I don't have any intent. Don't worry. If I were to murder your closest family, your your closest relative today, I get arrested. I'm on trial before the judge. The judge is standing there, and he looks at me and says, "Kaylin, what's going on? Why did you murder them? I can't believe you would do that." And I say, whoa, "Whoa, whoa, 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 Judge! Hey, hey, hey! Listen here. Okay, the murder thing was bad. I admit, not my best work. But have you seen all the good things that I've done, Judge? Have you seen, like, I've given to the poor before? Have you seen that?" Did you not, last Thanksgiving, I was, I was out feeding the homeless. Like, God, last year, I was, I was counseling these people, and I really helped their, their lives. Lord, I gave so much money to this and to that, and I, I gave everything I had to serve the needs of others. Judge, don't you know that I'm a good person? Like, yeah, I, I'm, I messed up. I murdered someone, but I'm, I'm not that bad. Man, that would be the world's most wicked judge to look at me and be like, you know what, Kalen, you make a good point. Off with you. You're free to go. If you were sitting in that courtroom when he said that, you would just stand up and, I don't know, throw like a a rock at him. Like, what are you doing? How can you let him go? He murdered my loved one. And now just because, oh, he did some good things, you're going to let him go? That would be a wicked Judge No, a just judge would say, okay, you did some good things, but this sin, this, this murder has to be paid for, has to be paid for. And guys, God is a just God. He loves us enough to not let sin go unpunished. God is a righteous, holy, perfect, loving, just God. And he cannot let sin go unpunished. Which is where Jesus comes in. Because all of us have disobeyed God. The Bible says that if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, that you've committed adultery with her. If you hate your brother in your heart, you've murdered him. This is a room full of adulterous, murdering thieves. Like, we, we've all sinned, right? None of us is without sin. So what do we do with our sin problem? Because Romans 3.23 Romans says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Praise be to God, he did not leave us to pay for our sin on our own. How does the world fight this sin problem? How do they try and take care of it? Well, they're like, okay, I'm just going to be a better person. I'm going to do enough good deeds to outweigh my bad deeds. Like, like, check out my scale here. This is my Windows 98 scale, like clip art. This is, this is the, world, the world view for, for 99% of the people out there. Oh, that may be a lot, but okay, if I can just get enough good deeds to outweigh my bad deeds, then, then okay, it'll, it'll start to work in my favor and then if I've done enough good things, then it'll cover up for the bad things and maybe, maybe I can, I don't know, get to heaven. Maybe I can have a, a good life. That's what the world is trying to do. They're like, man, I, if, I was just, if I can just do enough good things, then it'll make me feel better about myself and I'll, I'll just I'll forget about the bad things. Well, I'm a living testament That does not work. When I was 11 years old, I was exposed to pornography for the first time. I'd never seen it before. Someone showed it to me. The next day, I was wrecked by shame. Like, it it just consumed my heart and my soul. Like, I, I couldn't even hardly breathe. I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe it. So what did I do to try and make that better? I was like, all right, I'm just going to stop cussing. (laughs) It's laughable. It's ridiculous. I was like, okay, yeah, I I feel terrible about this. You know what? It's going to make me feel better? I'm going to stop saying those words. Uh, It's going to make me feel real good. I'm going to be a good person. I'm just going to make up for it. The shame didn't go away. The pain of the sin didn't go away. It wasn't until a few months later whenever I gave my life to Christ and I received his free gift of salvation. Man, I experienced so much freedom and peace and happiness as a result of that. It wasn't because I had done anything. It was just because of Jesus' finished work on the cross that I, by his grace, was able to receive. And so the Israelites here in this situation have sinned. They've done a wicked thing by complaining against this good, loving, gracious God of theirs. And so God doesn't leave them to just pay for their sin on their own, right? What does God do? God didn't say, all right, Israelites, I know you've been wicked, but uh, all just right, get your life together. Let's do better. Come on. Just raise the bar there. you got, you got to really press into that and you got to be better people if you want to pay for this sin. He didn't say to them, all right, Israelites, I know you've, you've been wicked, but uh, I'll tell you what we're going to do. You're just going to go feed the poor for a couple of weeks and uh, it's going to make you feel better and you're just going to pay for that sin. God didn't say that. Because those things, just doing more good things, can't pay the wages for sin. Just like if I murdered somebody... Me picking up trash on the side of the road doesn't make up for the murder. No, sin has to be paid for. What does God do here? He doesn't say, do better, get your life together, fix yourself. Only look at me. Isaiah 45, says, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other God's just saying, look, repent and believe in me. Look to me for your salvation. Nothing else in this world can save you but me. Will you just turn your eyes to me and I will save you? What if the Israelites had said, that's stupid. You you want me, uh, God, Moses, you realize that I am literally dying of a snake bite right now and you're not going like, to try and bandage it up or like, suck out the blood or uh, the poison? You're not going to try and help me? You just want me to look at this little statue? I'm not going to do it. That's dumb. What if the Israelites had said, no, 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 God, God, okay. Your statue thing is cool, it's cool. Um, I'm going to pay for that sin myself. I'm just going to make up for it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do better, God. The ones that said that, the ones that didn't believe... They died. The ones that refused to look at, at the symbol of, of Christ, the snake that was lifted up that symbolized our sin debt paid for, they perished. But the ones that instead said, I, I don't care what it looks like, I don't care what the rest of the world says, I don't care what any of my friends say, Man, all I know is that I am dead right now if I don't listen to God. And so, God, I'm going to I'm just going to listen to you. You said to look at this this snake. I'm going to look at it. I don't understand it. I don't get it, but you said that this is going to save me, and so I'm going to do it. The ones that just by faith believed that and put all of their hope and all of their trust into what God had presented as the way of salvation, they were saved. God took away the venom flowing through their veins and gave them new life. So in this story, where is is Christ in all of this? We've touched on it, but Jesus said it in John. He says, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up on the cross so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. The question you have to ask yourself this morning is what are you looking to to save you? What are you hoping in to be your salvation? Are you looking to your own ability to, to muster up the strength to do better, to be better, do enough good deeds to outweigh the bad? Are you, are you looking to your uh, church attendance? Okay, if I just go to church enough, then I'm going I'm to do the religious thing. And if I, if I, Take off enough check marks on, on my schedule for church, then God will look at me and he'll be pleased that I, I gave my time to the, this religion thing. You looking at your own ability to just stop sinning? Like, okay, I'm just gonna, if I just stop looking at, at porn, if I stop gossiping about my friends, if I stop getting drunk on the weekends, okay, if I can just do those things, then I'll be better, I'll be saved. Guys, none of those work. I've tried them all. None of them work. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, when we try and pay for our own sins ourselves, when we try and do better, we try and be better to, to make up for for the the sin, the the ways that we've rebelled against God, the ways that we've hurt others, when we try and make up for that on our own, you know what it's like? Imagine you're out in in the desert, in the wilderness, and you're just walking along, having a grand old time. You're enjoying the sand and the cacti, and you stumble upon this rattlesnake. Show me my rattlesnake. How many of you guys love snakes? You guys are weird. These things are freaky. You stumble upon this rattlesnake, and with, before you can even jump back, it strikes your leg, hits your femoral artery, injects all of its venom into you, and you're in the desert by yourself, alone, and now, snake, now you just start stumbling along because the venom is flowing through your body, and you're, you're like, okay, you're okay, Okay, there's a snake it just bit me. I'm just I'm just going to sit here. Just sit here for a moment. Okay. It's okay. I can I can see just fine. I You know what I'm going to You know what I'm going to do? You know what's going to make it better? I I know. I'm going to take this multivitamin. And it's a one a day, okay? Men's Plus. Okay. Yeah, that's going to make me feel better. Is there any hope of that multivitamin expelling the venom from your veins? No. Absolutely no chance. Zero percent chance you're going to win a Darwin Award that way. What you need in that moment is not a multivitamin. You don't need a band-aid. You need a blood transfusion. You need the anti-venom. You need new life because you are a walking dead person. If you don't get the anti-venom, if you don't get new blood, then you are as good as dead. And in the same way, when we're looking to the, the things of this world, we're looking to just do better, to be better, to go to church enough, to do enough good things. It's like being bit by a rattlesnake and hoping that a multivitamin heals you. It's not going to work. The wages of sin is death, and God is just in that, and He is a good God to have justice on sin. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Each of us before Christ, we are dead in sin. The Bible says that we are born into sin. We we have this sin nature that that it is impossible for us not to sin. We are born sinners that want our own way over God's way, that want our own way over what's good for others, and so we hurt others and we hurt the people around that we love the most. Each of us is dead before Christ in our sin until... We do like the Israelites did and we fix our eyes on the cross. We turn our eyes from ourselves. We turn our eyes from all the good things that we thought that we could do to make up for for all of our wickedness. We turn our eyes from those things and we fix them on Jesus. The one who took all of the sin upon himself and allowed God's wrath to be poured out on himself, so that we didn't have to pay the penalty for our sin. We didn't have to pay the price of our sin. Man, what an amazing God we serve. I know that I can just think about that so often that it just becomes routine, like, okay, yeah, God uh, became a man, and he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, and Father Abraham, and Mason, like, it just becomes this, this routine thing. But if you really stop to think about it, the God of the universe, the perfect, almighty, all-glorious one that has millions of angels around him, that their entire job is just to cry out, holy, 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 all day and all night, this God, this perfect one created human beings. It's like like, like me creating maggots, like the little ants, like the, the smallest thing you can think of. And what did he do? He became one of them. And not only that, but he allowed his creation to beat him and to spit on his face and to crucify him. The God of heaven allowed human beings to murder him. Why? For love, for the glory of his grace. Because he is full of compassion and grace, slow to anger, abounding in love. And so the gospel is this, that that Jesus lived this perfect life, died on the cross, bore our penalty for sin, bore the wrath of God that we rightfully deserve so that we don't have to, if we will just put our trust in him, if we will just Like the Israelites, turn our eyes to him and fix our minds on him and say, Jesus, I can't save myself, but you can. I don't care what it looks like to everyone around me. You're going to have to save me. And when we do that, we are born again into new life. God removes the venom from our veins. God gives us life. If we will just believe in him. Jesus created us to walk in relationship with him. It's not about doing more, it's not about being more, it's not about being better. It's about knowing the God who created you, knowing your creator. And through Jesus, that's how we're able to. Blaise Pascal said, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator, made Known through Jesus Christ. As we, before Jesus, we look to everything and anything to satisfy us. We look to sex and money and fame and security and, and the things of this world has to offer. We're like, okay, it's, it's going to satisfy me, but it never does. Because it's not made to. Because nothing can fill that hole except for God, the one who made us. And so I know that there are two main camps in here this morning. Two main groups. One, one group of you guys, you know Christ. You've received his gift of salvation. So that you no longer are on the, the path of death, but now the path of life. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So I want you to take your pen and your prayer cards out and just write out a prayer of thanksgiving for salvation, for for this amazing God that we serve. And then I want you to write out a prayer for one of your friends, someone you know that doesn't know Jesus. Because just like the asteroid, this is a matter of life and death. This is not a trivial matter. Cry out to God on their behalf. So that's the first group. And then I know the second group some of you in this room that that have never bowed your knees to King Jesus. You have never humbled yourself and said, I can't save myself, but Jesus, you can. Would you save me? I receive your gift of salvation. I believe you are who you say you are. I want to live my life for you. And if that's you this morning, God, stirring your heart just write out your prayer, confessing, God, I've sinned. But Jesus, save me. Have mercy on me. Don't leave here today not knowing where you stand with Christ. Because like C.S. Lewis said, it is is of infinite importance. We're going to continue to respond together. As we take communion, we celebrate the gift of Jesus' broken body and shed blood for us so that we didn't have to bear the penalty for our sin on ourselves. And we're going to worship the Lord together and and sing out a beautiful, beautiful song about who Jesus is. Man, I encourage you. Let, let's not hold back here this morning. This is not just a philosophical thing, that, like a philosophical idea, like, okay, there's this, this God that loves us, that made us, that died for us, that, that wants a relationship with us. Man, let's sing out to him with everything that we have. Don't leave here without connecting with your creator, with Jesus, the one who saved you. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you poured yourself out for us. Lord, I thank you that, that you displayed the glory of your grace on the cross through sacrifice. You bore the penalty that we all deserve so that we don't have to bear up under the weight of our sin. You freed us to know you, to enjoy you, to love you forever. God, I pray that you would give each of us the grace to bow our knees to you either for the first time or again and again each and every day. or that we would fall more in love with you than we ever have before. Lord, thank you that when you save us, that not heaven or earth, not angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nor anything present nor future can ever take the love of God away from us. Lord, you are so good to us. Thank you for having mercy on us. We love you, we worship you now. It's in Jesus' name, amen.